yo, yo, good morning, TLC. How are we doing today? It's Easter. I know it's like my favorite week. I'm just saying it's my favorite week. So I want to tell you a story this morning. Uh, it's about a guy named Leon. Leon was actually born uh, second son to his mother, Amy, his father, Robert, uh, in 1928. Leon uh, and his family had a pretty great start. Uh, Dad had a job at the Buick plant, lived on the other side of the state. They had just bought their first house, brand new house. It was a modest house, but it was their house, and that was a pretty big deal for this young family. And Leon's mom loved doting on her two sons, uh, was looking forward to expanding the family. Um, It was a great beginning to his life. And then a couple weeks before Leon turned two, though, his mom had been uh, ill for a bit and had gone into the doctor, and she was diagnosed with tuberculosis. Now, tuberculosis back in the late 20s, uh, they knew what it was. They knew that it was really contagious, but there wasn't a whole lot that they could do for someone with tuberculosis. But because they knew it was contagious, they knew that she instantly had to quarantine, and so she went home from the doctor's office and straight to the upstairs bedroom where the door was shut, the window was opened, and Leon didn't see her anymore. He had gone from being with his mother pretty much 24-7 as a not-quite-two-year-old. She read to him, she doted on him, she fed him, she held him, and then, like that... She was behind a door where he couldn't see, touch, or hear her. Leon's father had struggled when he was growing up with some anxiety. After Leon's mom went into quarantine, Leon's dad wasn't real sure what to do. He was trying to hold down his job at the plant, care for these two young kids, try to figure out how to care for his wife, After nearly a month, her condition continued to worsen. They didn't think she was going to make it. And so they decided the only thing that they could do for her was send her to a sanitarium across the state. Sanitarium is kind of like a hospice or a house for patients with tuberculosis in the hope that maybe they will recover. And so she was out of the house, and Robert was unsure how to take care of his two kids, and his mental health began to decline and he went into a spiral and no longer showed up for his job, Uh, got fired. As a result of getting fired, there was no income. They lost their house. They weren't sure what to do with the kids because mom was gone, dad couldn't take care of them. And so they shipped Leon off to live with his aunt. So no mom, now no dad, no older brother. How do you explain that kind of a death to a two-year-old. Miraculously, about nine months later, Leon's mom actually turned a corner. Amy started to do better and regain her strength. Leon's dad found some stability with his mental health. Even though there was really no treatments, really not a whole lot of care, mental health in the 20s and 30s was really kind of viewed with some shame. But his dad was doing better, his mom was regaining her health, and a little after Leon turned three, 
he and his older brother were reunited with their mom and dad in northern Michigan. They moved the family there. They didn't have any money. Dad didn't have a job. They weren't sure what they were going to do, but they did find someone that was willing to uh, rent them a home. Well, it wasn't really a home. It was a shack. Uh, When you hear people say that they were dirt poor, what they mean by that is they literally lived in a house that had dirt floors. Leon was dirt poor. The house or shack literally had been housing sheep the year before, but the sheep were no longer using it, and so the guy who owned it allowed Leon and his family to live there so they could get on their feet. Leon's dad had to literally build a door for this shack. No indoor plumbing, no indoor heating. And after uh, about a year, they were able to move into a respectable home with actual floors, and the family started to grow. Leon's mom and dad had a couple more kids. Fast forward about a decade, Leon's 12, 13 years old, and things seem to be going well for the family. Dad's got a job, mom's loving on the kids, it's pretty amazing that she survived, and They don't take that for granted, and so there's a lot of love flowing throughout the house. But somewhere around that 12, 13 years old, for Leon, his father began to struggle with mental health again. And his dad spiraled so far down, and in a small town in northern Michigan where everybody knows everything about you, Leon began to struggle himself. Uh, The town actually hired three men from the town and deputized them to literally sit with his dad eight hours a day throughout the day to make sure that he didn't harm himself or anyone else. Everybody in the town knew that Leon's dad was crazy. And so Leon began to fall himself into a depression. He wasn't a good athlete, didn't have a lot of success playing sports. He wasn't a good student never quite felt like he really fit in. He was as poor as anybody in the entire place. And as a result, when Leon was around 12 and a half years old, he found himself on the couch almost every morning, crying uncontrollably because he didn't know what to do. He couldn't explain why he was crying. He didn't understand. He was flunking out of school. His mom didn't know what to do with him. She's trying to care for the other kids as well as Leon and a husband who is completely disengaged. And so she called a social worker. And a social worker came to the house, spent some time with the family, and said she didn't know what else to do. But maybe if they sent Leon off to a troubled boys camp, that that would be helpful. So at 12 years old, Leon was shipped across the state to a troubled boys' camp with boys that were mostly older than he was. And that's where he lived for the next year. Leon had died a thousand deaths in his young life. And he was well on his way to becoming just another statistic. Everything seemed to be pointing that way. Every single one of us has experienced Maybe not deaths like Leon had, but deaths nonetheless. Uh, Death comes in all forms in this life, does it not? Uh, For some of us, it's relational deaths. For some of us, it's actual physical deaths of family members, grandparents, aunts, uncles, maybe brothers, sisters, possibly even children. Uh, It's also at times deaths of 
a dream that we had, right? Expectations that we had, stuff that we thought was going to happen, a a hope or desire that will never be met. It might be a, a son or a daughter that has a difficulty that you, no matter how much time, effort, money you throw at it, you're not able to fix. All of us experience these deaths in our lives because all of us experience the reality of sin. Uh, The Bible teaches that when sin entered the world, that it infected and affected everyone and everything. Now, I get this is not super popular to talk about, especially on Easter, right? We don't like to think about these things at times where we think it's supposed to be about celebration. In fact, many of us kind of dismiss that. Really, is that the issue? Because we start saying, well, man, but I think people are generally good. In fact, I think people are born good. And my response to that is, if people are actually born good and people are generally good, then shouldn't our world be getting generally gooder? Right? But I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we know that it's not. We've got a war in Ukraine. Devastating. COVID for the last two years, a pandemic, taken millions of lives, kicked our tails, wrecked emotional, financial, spiritual, emotional health for so many of us. We've got violence and racism, respect for authority and respect for human life seems to be at an all-time low. Crime sprees have increased. We need a key to open our car door and start our car. Do you ever wonder why you need a key to turn on your car? We can't even bring a normal-sized tube of toothpaste with us on an airplane today. We've got marriages falling apart, children getting sold into slavery still in 2022. Overcrowded jails, corruption, selfishness. Look, I'm just telling you that when the Bible says that sin has infected and affected everything, I can believe it. It may not be the popular philosophy in the culture that we live in, but I think it actually makes the most sense of the world when I look around. Now, I think sometimes people kind of fall into the trap of thinking like, oh, that's just the way it is, man. Like, that's just life. It happens. It comes at us. What's going to happen is going to happen. People don't really change. You just got to deal with it, right? We're a product of our environment. We live, we die, and it's over. Some of y'all are like, dang, would someone tell this cat it's Easter? This is really heavy. But I really believe that the worse the bad stuff, the better the good stuff, right? The the night is always darkest just before the dawn comes. And if we don't understand that maybe things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, you're not going to care about whether or not a Savior may be coming for you. Easter is actually the hope that death no longer has to win. That's why I think Easter is so important. It's not just the hope that death no longer has to win. It's also that sin and all of its effects no longer have to determine the shape of your life and my life. That's the hope of Easter. But before we can actually get there, we have to understand that things are broken. Things are not the way that they ought to be. If Jesus really did what the Bible claims, and I will tell you this, everything in Christianity hinges on whether Jesus actually rose from the grave. If Jesus did what the Bible actually claims, then that means 
everything else has to change in light of it. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up with me to Mark chapter 9 today. Mark chapter 9, you can pull out your Bible, you can pull out your phone, pull it up on your Bible app, Mark chapter 9. But before we jump in there, let me give just a little bit of context. Now, you've got four of what we call Gospels, okay? Gospel is just a, a, a Greek word that means good news. So they're basically four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's just four guys that tell the story of Jesus' life, his teaching, what he did, his death, and his resurrection. And each one of these four tell the story for a particular audience. So we get different windows, different angles into understanding Jesus' life and his teaching and, and what he did. They often share a lot of the same stories because it's the same life that they're talking about. And Mark does something really, really interesting. In Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, and in Mark chapter 10, Mark shares three different times that Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to die and then be raised back to life. Now, the disciples have, like, no category for that, all right? They believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one sent from God, who was supposed to be the rescuer of Israel. They'd been waiting for Messiah for a long time. Jesus had ticked all the boxes. They're like, we believe, we know that you're the Messiah. But in their mind's eye, the Messiah had to become a conquering king. He was supposed to rule over the entire earth from a throne, a literal physical throne in Jerusalem. So when Jesus comes to them and says, I'm going to die, they're like, <laughs> Jesus, that's funny. No, you're not. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, the very first time Jesus says this, one of the guys, he's a disciple, his name is Peter. Peter pulls Jesus aside, like, yo, yo, hey man, sorry, that's not how the story goes. He's trying to correct the God who created the earth, and he's telling them, yeah, that's not what's going to happen. Because the disciples understood that if Jesus had to die, that meant that there was going to be some deaths for them as well. Let's pick up the story, though, in Mark chapter 9. This is the second time that Jesus tells them this. It says in verse 30, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They don't get it. They don't have a category for this. This is the second time that Jesus has told them this. The first time, Peter's like, no, 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 you got it wrong. Now he's saying it again, and, and they, they just don't even know what to do. It says they didn't understand. Uh, the New Testament actually records these stories in many of the Gospels and in the other three Gospels besides Mark. And, and there's different ways that they describe how the disciples were dealing with it. Um, some said that the disciples, when Jesus said this, were sad. Other times they said that uh, the disciples were angry. Other times they said that the disciples were in disbelief. And other times they were being described as being confused. They didn't get it. Not only did they not get it, they didn't want to get it, to be honest, because if Jesus had to die, that means that there was going to be some deaths for them as well. They thought they knew what was going to happen. Jesus is going to roll in with some, like, angels on tanks or something, take over Rome, take over the whole world, right? They're going to be, like, generals, captains, whatever, vice pre I don't know what they thought they were going to be, but something other than him dying. So they've got this idea in their heads, and when Jesus says, I'm going to die, they're like, no, 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 because that meant for them death of dreams, death of expectations, death of 
their future and what they thought it was going to be. Death in many ways of even their identity. And I think that's often true for us too. Like there's deaths that we experience. You guys probably are feeling some of that in many ways these last couple of years. The degree that you really wanted, you thought was going to give you that job. You got the degree and then the job never came. Or, or you finally got that dream job and you got into it and you realized, ooh, this, this, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Some of you are sitting here single and you're thinking, so why, why I'm, not, I'm not married yet? Some of you are married and you're thinking, wow, that is not at all what I thought marriage was going to look like for me. Some of you have kids with difficulties that you know no matter how much time, effort, money you put in, you can't fix it yourself. Small deaths all around us. What I think might be even worse than any of those, though, is some of you are sitting here and you're like, you know what, man, actually my marriage is, is pretty good. And I got a job that I feel like is pretty fulfilling. And my kids are great. And everything that I ever thought that I wanted, I actually have. And I still feel this huge emptiness. We feel these deaths because as good as relationships are, as good as marriage is, as, as good as a nice job is, or money, or freedom, or fame, or fill in the blank of anything that you think is going to fulfill you, at the end of the day, you know it can't. Not only that, can it not fulfill you, it can't save you. The harsh reality of Easter is what makes the beauty so much better. And that's simply this, you have to die to live. You have to die if you actually want to live. And the disciples weren't keen on that. Jesus understood it. The disciples were like, yo, 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 that ain't cool with me. That, that's not how it's supposed to go down. You see, they were gonna actually have to lay down some things if they were going to experience the life that Jesus was actually offering. He wasn't the Jesus they wanted. He was the Jesus that they needed. Jesus, though, didn't just say he was going to die. He also said that he was going to rise back to life. And this is when the story gets good. So flip down just a few more chapters with me to Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 16. All right? Mark chapter 16. Now, uh, this is actually um, probably the saddest point in the story. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Saddest point in the story. Uh, you see, at this point, Jesus has been crucified two days earlier on Friday. Everything the disciples thought, and not just the 12 disciples, I mean, Jesus had a, a number of other folks that were following him, number of prominent women, number of other disciples, people that were kind of sitting on the outside, kind of looking in, but saying, man, I, I think he is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus died, and not just died, like literally gets stripped, beaten, spit at, mocked, hung up publicly to show that Rome's actually in control and has power, and he dies. And they take his body just before sundown, quickly off of the cross, his dead corpse, and they just wrap it quickly in a linen shroud and put him in a tomb and roll a stone over it so that nobody can mess with him. They have not taken care of the corpse the way that was going to honor Jesus' death. And so they know they can't do anything on Saturday because that's the Sabbath. 
And so they have to wait Friday night, all day Saturday, and now on the third day on Sunday, they finally go to the tomb because they they want to honor Jesus' dead body. They bring all these spices, and we kind of pick up the story. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? This stone was way too big. These ladies weren't going to be able to do it by themselves. They hadn't even really thought through the plan yet. They're still so overcome with grief. They're just like, we got to do something for Jesus' corpse. He shouldn't have been buried that way. We're going to bring the spices. And they're like, man, but who's even going to roll the thing away? So they wind up showing up, verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he says. I love sometimes the humor we can miss sometimes. When we, I mean, can you imagine? You walk in, it's some 14-year-old boy dressed in all white. He's glowing. All right. <laughs> Jesus is not there. He's an angel. And they already said they're alarmed. The text already told us. And he's like, uh, don't, don't, don't be alarmed. Uh, Actually, though, this is uh, why it's okay to wear white after Easter because of the ink. Just kidding. That was, I worked on that joke for a while, though, so I do expect a better response next time, okay? That was a young angel dressed in a white robe says to them, don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. Don't be alarmed. He has risen just as he told you. At the cross, Jesus proved his love for you and me. But at the resurrection, Jesus proved that he's capable of saving us. He might not do it in the way that we expect. The disciples didn't want to see Jesus die. The disciples certainly didn't want to have to die themselves. But the way that Jesus wants to save us often requires something that we are not expecting. On Easter morning, everybody thought everything had been lost. But it was on Easter morning that God raised Jesus back to life to show us what he's capable of doing. And he can do it for you too. In fact, this is the message of Easter. And I don't care how many times you've heard it before. Hear it fresh again today. The message of Easter is that nobody's too far gone. Death in all of its forms doesn't have to have the last word. And although we can't save ourselves, Jesus can. This is the message of Easter. To experience the life of Jesus, we have to lay down our lives and take his up, just like Jesus willingly laid down his life and took it back up on the third day. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We can as well. Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 16, he said this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. When Jesus said take up the cross, he's not talking about just picking up like a hunk of lumber and walking around the city, all right? What he means by that is something that everybody at that time understood. The cross was the Roman instrument of death. What Jesus is saying, like, you got to lay yourself down. You got to die. Take the cross. If you want to find life, that's how you're going to find it. Take up your cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Friends, if you want life, you have to die first. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Now I get it. It's Easter. You're in church. I'm the pastor. This is what I'm supposed to say, right? Like church speak. This is what you get paid to do, bro. This isn't just something that lives up here for me. Jesus changed my life too. The resurrection is not just something that lives in my head. The resurrection is something that lives in my heart and is slowly but truthfully changing everything about who I am. That's just the choir. They're not mad at me. (laughs) They're like, we out of (laughs) here. Jesus isn't just changing my life, though. There's so many stories in this room that I know of that you'd be shocked at what Jesus could do with your life. And that's exactly what happened for Leon as well. After he returned home from the troubled boys' camp, things were still pretty rough. And a couple years later, when he was in high school, his father died. But his mom was able to lovingly rally her family, and though Leon didn't become great at sports or great in the classroom, he did begin to find some stability in his life. In his senior year of high school, his mom gathered all the kids up and brought them to church because there was a traveling preacher that was in town. And so they thought they would go and hear him. And that traveling preacher shared the same story that I'm sharing with you today, that nobody's too far gone, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has the ability to change anybody's life who's willing to come to him. And Leon, he didn't know what to do with it in that moment. He wanted to believe so bad because he had experienced so much death, felt such like an outsider and so lost in his life. But it was hard to imagine that God could do something with him. So about a month and a half later, he graduated from high school, wasn't sure what to do. So he decided he was going to move down to the thriving metropolis of Grand Rapids, Michigan. His brother had moved down the year earlier. He got an apartment with his brother, tiny little place that they rented together. His brother helped him get a job at one of the furniture factory stores here in Grand Rapids. And his brother had started going to this church called Calvary Undenominational Church here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, downtown. 
And he invited Leon to come with him. And Leon was like, yeah, because, man, he knew what God had started to do in his life a couple of months earlier. And he wanted to see if that could be real and if that could be for him. And so he started going to Calvary Undenominational Church. And he started hearing the word of God preached and more about uh, the good news of who Jesus was and what Jesus had taught and how you could find life and forgiveness and hope. And Leon latched onto that, man, like crazy, got so excited about this newfound relationship, this forgiveness that he had found, the fact that God could take dead things and bring them back to life, that that's actually what God specializes in. And Liam was like, yo, that's me. If God can do that with me, I'm in. He found out that there was a little Bible college not too far from where he lived, and he thought, oh, man, I love the Bible now. Like, I, maybe I could actually go. So he starts going to this little Bible college, Along with his work at the furniture factory, he meets this uh, little redhead named Geraldine. They fall in love. They get married. God has just started to redeem and restore Leon's life. Leon thinks to himself, man, if, if I had heard more of this when I was growing up, that might have that made a difference for me. And so he and Geraldine decide that they're going to give the rest of their lives to telling other people in small towns what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, that he can take dead things and bring them back to life again. And so for the last 60 years, that's what they've done. Friends, when I say that this isn't just head knowledge for me, that this is something that Jesus has done in my own heart, I'm telling you that because I have seen it happen, not just in my life, but in the lives of so many other people. One of them in particular, I had a front row seat at seeing it happen because Leon is my grandfather. And Leon's life was radically changed. And that is a creepy picture, but that's the only one I could find. So y'all just going to have to deal with it. My grandfather should have just been another statistic. But because of Jesus, everything changed. And Jesus has done that for me. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you've experienced, but I will tell you this. You being here this morning is not an accident. However you wound up here, if this is the normal place you come on Sunday mornings, if you got invited from somebody, I'm just telling you, it's not an accident. God knew you were going to be here, and God wanted to make sure that you heard the story of Easter in a fresh way, with fresh eyes, to say, I don't know what your life has been like. I don't know what kind of deaths you have died, but you need to know that today, there is an opportunity for you to find life again because Jesus specializes in bringing dead things back to life. It's what he does. So I want to pray for you right now. I'm just going to ask everybody just to close your eyes, bow your heads. And if that's you today, if you just say, man, I know I need to, I know I need to give myself to Jesus. I've heard about him. Maybe you've been in church most of your life, but no one's ever said, would you like to invite him in? Would you like to take on his life, lay your life down and pick his life up? Then I want to pray right now for you. And I'm going to pray, and you can just pray along in your head, repeating after me or however you'd like, but just talk to God. Just tell him, God, I believe today. Father, I, I believe in Jesus, what he did for me, his death and his resurrection. I might not understand it all, but God, I want you. Jesus, I invite you into my life. I lay my life down to take up yours. Forgive my sin. Take over, take control. 
And if that was you today, I'm just going to ask everybody to keep your eyes closed or your heads bowed. If that was you today, though, I want to just be able to pray for you specifically. And so I'm just going to ask you to look up at me. You don't have to raise your hand or get up or anything. Just look at me so I make eye contact. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. else. I just want to be able to pray for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus, you see these eyes, but more than that, you see these hearts. Father God, it is not an accident that we are here today. We are here because of what Jesus has done, his death and his resurrection. Jesus, you transformed my grandpa's life. You've been transforming mine, God. You know I've got a long way to go still. But that's what you do. And Jesus, there's a whole lot of folks in here this morning that just want to say yes to you. So we give you praise for who you are and what you've done. You deserve it. Jesus, we want to follow you with all of our hearts and lives because we know that it's in you that we find real life, real hope. You're the only one that can take dead things and bring them back to life. God, there's no other way that we're going to find that. God, this world is broken. We need someone to rescue us. And Jesus, that's what you did. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let us know you more. Let us follow you more closely. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.